0: It's been a busy week of face-to-face meetings here at UN Geneva, just like the good old days before Covid. Among the top stories we've been covering, there's been grim but important news from Ethiopia and Syria in the Human Rights Council, a moving update from UN humanitarians in Ukraine and significant progress towards holding elections in Libya, although they're still proving elusive. In Afghanistan, communities are still struggling to recover after last week's deadly earthquake and we'll be hearing from a UN Children's Fund worker who's been to see the human impact for herself. That's all coming up in this week's UN Catch-Up Dateline Geneva with me, Daniel Johnson. First, the news. UN-appointed rights investigators announced on Thursday that they've launched a probe into an alleged massacre of at least 200 people in Ethiopia's Oromia region. Kari Betty murungi chair of the International Commission of Human Rights Experts on Ethiopia, was speaking on the sidelines of the Human Rights Council in Geneva. The commission had received reports last week of the killings in western Oromia as it continued its work investigating rights abuses linked to conflict in Ethiopia's northern Tigray region that flared in November 2020. Despite many other conflicts around the world, Ms Murungi said that the world must not ignore what was happening in Ethiopia.
1: The ongoing spread of violence fueled by hate speech and incitement to ethnic-based and gender-based violence are early warning indicators of further atrocity crimes against innocent civilians, especially women and children who are
0: more vulnerable. Across Ukraine, the scale of needs caused by Russia's invasion is still massive and human rights concerns persist, UN humanitarians said in an update on the conflict on Thursday. They also repeated calls for access to the country's Black Sea ports to export vitally needed cereals. Speaking from Kiev, UN humanitarian coordinator for Ukraine Osnat Lubrani said that some 16 million people in Ukraine had multiple needs, water, food, health services, shelter and protection. Since the 24th of February, when the war began, the UN and humanitarian partners have delivered life-saving assistance to nearly 9 million people in every single region of Ukraine. But Ms Lubrani said that despite these successes, aid access is still too dangerous in many places. We could not deliver relief items, relief supplies or access or be able to access Kherson. We could not deliver relief supplies or have access to Mariupol. We could not support any sort of assistance and have not even managed to have the parties to agree on safe passages to evacuate people from Severodonetsk uh, so that they could move in the direction of their choice. The spread of monkeypox to African countries where it has never been detected before is a worrying sign, but measures are being put in place to bolster national efforts to diagnose and treat the disease, the UN World Health Organization, WHO, said on Thursday. Dr Machi Di WHO regional director for Africa, said that surveillance and laboratory diagnosis in affected countries were cornerstones of disease control, before urging greater support to expand genomic sequencing technology that was introduced during the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic. Today, although all African countries can test for monkeypox using polymerase chain reaction machines, many lack the reagents needed to do so on a bigger scale. To help, WHO wants to secure 60,000 tests for Africa, with around 2,000 tests and reagents to be shipped to high-risk countries, and 1,000 to those at lower risk. According to latest monkeypox sequencing data, there is no recent linkage between the virus that's circulating in Europe and Africa, WHO said. Outside the six countries in Africa with a history of human transmission, the virus has also been reported in three countries which have never had any human cases. These are Ghana, Morocco and South Africa, which has confirmed the disease in two patients with no travel history, suggesting that there is a high possibility of local transmission. In Geneva, despite unprecedented consensus between Libya's opposing sides, they've been unable to reach a deal on presidential elections, it's been announced. In a statement on Thursday, veteran UN negotiator Stephanie Williams said that the presidents of Libya's House of Representatives and its High Council of State had overcome numerous sticking points, such as the division of responsibilities between the president, prime minister, cabinet, and local government. But disagreements persist on eligibility requirements for the candidates of the country's first presidential elections, Miss Williams said. And she noted that although progress secured during three rounds of consultations in Cairo and in Geneva this week was significant, it remains insufficient to move forward towards comprehensive national elections, which is a genuine desire of the Libyan people. The headlines there, and now to Afghanistan, where remote eastern regions were hit last week by a massive earthquake that killed more than a thousand and left communities in need of international help. With the latest, here's the UN Children's Fund's Veronica Hauser, who's been to see for herself the damage done and the human impact on Afghans in Paktika and Khost provinces, many of whom live in small homes clinging to the mountainside. Here she is now with her update.
1: So the latest down from Paktika and host where the earthquake has recently hit is just the apparent devastation of the destruction of the earthquake. Almost everyone has lost their homes. Almost everyone has lost at least three, four, five family members. They've lost their livestock. They've lost their livelihoods. So it's not just a matter of losing property, but it's a matter of losing their ability to um, provide for their families and to stay healthy and and carry on with their lives.
0: We know that you went yourself from Kabul to Paktika and you saw and you visited some of the families and you saw the homes destroyed. In particular, you met a little girl called Halima. What can you tell us about her?
1: So Halima is just one of the 362,000 people who are in need after this earthquake. Halima, she was, she's just eight years old and she lost three sisters in the earthquake. She lost her mother. They were all crushed when the earthquake collapsed their house and miraculously she managed to survive and, and she's now living with her cousins. So Although she does have caretakers now, it's it's an additional burden on her extended family members who are already struggling to provide for their own children. There's very little food available. There's very little water. Um, UNICEF is particularly concerned about the, the cleanliness of the environment. Um, Access to clean water and access to health and first aid um, services is is very low, so this is one of the things that we're working on responding to is providing these types of services. We're providing access to first aid and trauma care. Um, We're providing emergency water trucking as an interim measure to try to get clean water down to the people. We're also providing uh, water treatment so that the water that is available, we can try to make sure that it's that it's clean and we prevent disease outbreaks. And we are actually already receiving reports of acute watery diarrhea, cholera outbreak down in the earthquake site. I mean, particularly for Halima and her family who are already struggling with you know, water, food, shelter. They don't have a permanent home. It's difficult for them to... Uh, you know, have access to food and water. Um, This is something that could potentially affect her and her family. And if we're not able to solve these problems, then we're looking at, you know, children who could continue to die.
0: How many people like Halima are there?
1: So we know that there are 362,000 people who are in need. And with uh, the interagency joint UN funding appeal, we're targeting 110.3 million, at least 60% of these people are children. So I mean, Potentially more. It could be more. And uh, we know that more than 150 children have already died and and more than 250 children are injured. 1,900 homes destroyed. Yeah, we're extremely concerned.
0: Just describe for those who haven't seen your very moving film that you made on your visit to Paktika where you saw Halima for yourself and you met her and you were very moved by that. I could see that visibly moved and it must be very difficult to see these things. But what is the infrastructure like? I mean, the houses, they didn't look very strong at all.
1: So most of the houses are built on stone foundations and many of these stones come from the riverbed. So they're already rounded sort of soft stones. So we're looking at very weak um infrastructure already that is not very stable and of course the walls themselves are often made of mud bricks um of wood so i mean the very first thing that you can see in this earthquake zone is that all of the houses have collapsed have lost the the roofing um people are sorting through the rubble trying to salvage whatever building materials they can to try and rebuild Uh, The cost of transportation to bring these building materials in is extremely high. This is something that we're looking at within our funding appeal is how we can support emergency shelter and how we can um, help the community rebuild um, their, their homes, their shops, the schools, the health centers, all of the places that have been affected by this. It's really a striking environment because... You know, all of these clusters of villages are are literally clinging to the sides of mountains and sitting within uh, valleys and riverbeds that are between these mountains. so, you know, if there's a strong earthquake again or if there's a strong aftershock, then, you know, these already weak infrastructures could could cause even more damage and even more loss of life.
0: Right. Now, Veronica, you said you've got a team that's set out from Kabul and it's just arrived in Paktika. So that's a heck of a journey. What are their priorities and how are you going to help the resilience of communities withstand further shocks and aftershocks?
1: So we do have an additional team of UNICEF staff who have left from Kabul and have just arrived in Paktika to respond to the earthquake. All of the UN agencies were extremely quick and agile with the response. We were there from day one, providing emergency services and things that the people needed the most in the first few hours. Um, but this team that has just departed from Kabul, uh, it, it's, it's over 12 hours of driving. Um, it's, it's you know an overnight along the way. The terrain is extremely mountainous. It's extremely difficult. There have been recent landslides that have collapsed pieces of the mountain into the road. So, you know, in addition to being vulnerable from the earthquake itself, the community is extremely hard to access and we're finding it very difficult to bring in the supplies that we need. The team that's down there now, they're, they're going to be meeting with the communities to further understand what are the needs. We have community feedback mechanisms um, down in the earthquake zone so that we can understand what people need the most. We have wash specialists that are there assessing the sanitation and the cleanliness of the water so that we can figure out how and where to get in clean water to the people. We have health specialists who are there to look at the emergency health clinics that we've set up and to further support the mobile health teams that we're supporting. And we have several different staff members that are there to meet with the partners, understand um, the challenges that they've been facing and yeah, just continue to assess and, and strengthen our response.
0: Can you tell me finally what your interaction has been or the UN agency's interaction has been with the Taliban authorities, given that we know that the situation of women and girls' rights in Afghanistan is dreadful? I mean, how easily could you move around in Paktika?
1: I think that our cooperation with the de facto authorities there has been about as good as we can hope for. The authorities were very quick in search and rescue responses, especially in the first early hours, and we have had several meetings with the de facto authorities um, in the earthquake locations to Understand what are the needs, and they are very aware of, you know, the needs that need to be addressed. There, they're cooperating with the UN. Uh, we're cooperating with them. Um, I think it's 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 going about as well as we
0: can help. My thanks to UNICEF's Veronica Hauser for sharing her moving personal testimony. Check out her Twitter handle at Veronica Hauser 2, for the latest on UNICEF's work in Kabul and beyond. <laughs> right that's it for this week thank you very much indeed for listening in to what we've been getting up to it's the last week of the human rights council next week no doubt that'll be in the mix in our show hope to catch you then bye bye for now